He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not, God has made him a liar, because he believes not on the record that God gave of his Son. That is 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. The importance of bearing witness is very great to God. He's meticulous, he is holy, he is perfect, and he has a structure to his kingdom. He has given us a structure to everything in terms of how to live. That's why everything you see on earth has order, not chaos. He put the order into place for it to be lived as it is. And as God is holy and righteous, he teaches us righteous ways to live. That's what all the Ten Commandments were about and everything else, his character in itself. Living like unto him, living in the image of God would be to live out according to his statutes, to be like him, to have the same morals, values and virtues as he does, to love what he loves and hate what he hates. When he talks about bearing witness, a witness, what is a witness? A witness is someone that declares or testifies whether or not something happened, an event. So someone who is an eyewitness, for example, can say, yes, I was there when that was spoken or that was said or no, that did not happen or it did happen. You are witnessing to the truth or you are witnessing to confirm that something is a lie or it's true. This is the importance of bearing witness. This is extremely important to God. I've taught on this in various other teachings, but we are going to deep dive into this today in understanding why, quote, your testimony is is called that. What is your testimony of Jesus? It's your eyewitness account of Jesus Christ in the spirit Eyewitness account on human level is, as I said, in a human situation, an event happened, a crime scene, etc. And you can say you bore witness with your eyes, you saw it happen. You are part of that evidence, as in your witness account, you speaking your version of the story because you were there, speaking what you saw, is a part of the evidence. Okay, imagine like in a court of law, again, God literally created all the structures. Therefore, everything we see represented in courts of law and justice is supposed to represent the judgment and justice and morals and values of God. As I've said, it's all corrupt today, but the basis of it, you can see where it comes from. Now, your eyewitness account of Jesus is with your spiritual eyes, and I will explain to that that as well as we go through because we didn't see him with our physical eyes when he was here walking the earth however many people did over 500 people have an eyewitness account of Jesus's resurrection I'm not even speaking as when he was here as man but also after his resurrection when he died and three days later resurrected more than 500 people had an eyewitness account proof that he was alive and well resurrected. So a witness testifies as being present to an event. They they testify to the truth. And so your born again testimony is literally the witness to the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And we're told in Revelation 
chapter 19 from verse 10, when John is being showed all of these things by various angels and saints. Verse 10, it says, I fell at his feet. So John fell at the feet of the saint to worship him, one of the the servants of God that he saw being spoken to from this vision. So he fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, the saint said, he said unto me, see you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. He's saying, we, I have the testimony of Jesus. I bear witness of Jesus Christ. I declare he is truth. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now that part is just as important because you bear witness to a prophecy, okay? And God had told us back in Deuteronomy, and I will show you that scripture in a moment, that it only takes two to three witnesses to confirm something to be true, therefore brings it into effect. So when it comes to prophecy, which is telling us, warning us of future events, which it speaks to us backwards as if it's already happened because it has. From God's view, everything has already taken place because he's outside of time. So when he provides us prophecy, because he is the only one that knows everything, he is the one that is the spirit of prophecy. When he provides us with prophecy, in order for that prophecy to begin coming into effect, as in for it to start actually actualizing in our physical human domain timeline, there must be two or three witnesses present to testify that that was the case. This is the importance okay, that God put on the judges in the Bible and the prophets in the Bible and the teachers in the Bible. The prophets, especially whenever they would declare, thus saith the Lord, and would give um, prophecy of what was to come, would give warning saying, if you guys do not stop being evil, if you guys do not stop being wicked, this and this is going to happen. They wouldn't give a date. It's very rare that they would give a date because, again, the spirit of prophecy was, as I've said to you guys as well before, you can't hack it. You can't hack the timing of God's judgment and mercy plays a part too because he can become, uh, he can shift and change the things depending on his mercy, depending on your response to the prophecy, depending on your response to the judgment you're going to receive. Again, you would know all this to be true if you read scripture and you can then understand how God works. You can understand how how he is perfectly just and holy and every decision he makes is way above our thinking and that he is always right. You see, when you truly love God, it doesn't, your concerns are not about these petty arguments that people have between the smallest of things within scriptures where they call themselves theologians, that they have, you know, doctorates and PhDs and Bible studies and what have you, but they don't know God whatsoever. It's become about the whole theoretical nonsense, as we're warned in uh, Titus and in uh, Colossians to stop having these discussions about genealogies and science falsely so-called because it is vain. It is vain. It is pointless having these tiny discussions of what is this, what is this, but this means this, but you're not getting to the crooks of the whole character of God, the whole meaning why any of us are here and how we're supposed to rekindle our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and save as many people on the way to do the same. So that's why your testimony of Jesus Christ is so critical 
Once you are born again, you live, you're a living testimony that Jesus Christ is the truth. So that's why it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So it only would require two to three witnesses to set the prophecies of Jesus in motion. So everything you've read ever in the Bible, if two or three people bear witness to it, including you reading it, because you are bearing witness to it, the entire Bible is a witness to God. The word of God bears witness to the truth. That's all it takes for it to be set into motion. And we see that, like, again, example from example. Now, let me take you back to First John. And let me go through the whole part here that explains the bearing witness of Jesus Christ. Well, actually, first, let's go to Deuteronomy to show you when this was first introduced by God to on the human level, okay, on the, on the, on the flesh level, not the spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, we're told uh, from verse 15. So if something he's, he's giving them saying, like, if something, a quarrel comes between you, if someone has committed a crime, if there has been iniquity found within your nation, within your congregation. Okay, he's speaking to Israel. He says this, one witness shall not rise against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sins, at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. So he's saying it's not enough for just one person to say, yes, I saw that person, you know, commit that crime. And therefore, that's enough for the person to be sentenced to their punishment, to their judgment, etc. Again, think of normal human everyday uh, court situations or law, human law, if you will. He's saying it has to be at least two to three witnesses, okay? Now, now you're going to understand the importance of being truthful. Why do you think, okay, it's not in every country, but countries that claim to be based on the Bible. Why do you think, I'm sure you've at least seen it in a movie, if you don't know this to be true in real life, this is also true in real life. Why do you think when someone stands up to bear, uh, to give their testimony or their eyewitness account of a situation in a court of law, what the first thing they do, they stand up and they put their right hand on the Bible and they have to swear an oath. They swear an oath to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what they say. Why do you think they say that? It comes from the Bible. Because all law is based on the Bible because God is the one that decided this is what is morally right and this is what is morally wrong. It is not humans that just think they're so intelligent and we figured it out because we're such, you know, we, we, we're big social groups. So we figured out, hey, it makes more sense for us to socially function together so that by having morals and laws. No, it came from God. And so that's why you see that in a court of law as a human. Now, imagine, therefore, the weight it carries for you to actually tell the truth. That's why you say that. I shall tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And you swear it under an oath. The point of that is that when you swear things under an oath, it literally means you put your life on it. As in, if you are to be lying, they can take your life for lying. And that is not like, uh, what's a, that's not like extravagant or extreme. No, because a lie in such a case can literally cause somebody else's life to end. 
So if you bear false witness, for example, which is one of the things that God hates and that he's, it's literally part of the Ten Commandments. So again, lovely people who love to throw away the Ten Commandments, you're supporting all this stuff. You think it's therefore totally, God thinks it's totally fine, as does every human being, right? To just go around bearing false witness so that people end up in, in punishment, in crime for things that they never did. And all the rest of them, not to mention murder, adultery, etc. And so... The importance, therefore, of not bearing false witness is that somebody could literally go to jail or get the death penalty based on your lie, okay? Which is why the very next sentence he says, if a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he thought to have done unto his brother. So shall you put the evil away from among you. So he's saying the person that bears false witness should also have to therefore receive the same uh, judgment or penalty that was intended for the person that they bared false witness against. Do you understand? And he's saying, why why do that? He's like, and those which remain shall hear this, as in everybody then bears witness to this, seeing clearly what's right and wrong. And they shall fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. So he's saying, that this, again, this is the parts where nobody seems to understand that we live in a manner that there's life, there's multiple decades that you live, and then there's passing on and teaching next generation things. People can't seem to move past just their own personal view of something. So I'm always saved, there's nothing I can do wrong in God's eyes, and you know, oh, the Old Testament is not important, none of these things mean anything because God just loves me. Jesus loves you and he forgives you for everything. Well, just saying to people Jesus loves you doesn't teach them anything. Are you even considering a child that knows nothing about virtues and morals? How are you going to teach them what's important in life? How are you going to teach them integrity? How are you going to teach them character? Oh, that's right. You're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about your own selfish ways and how you can, quote, avoid punishment and hell. Again, none of it is based in anything of depth, strong roots in the faith. It's all surface level. So that was from Deuteronomy to clearly show you when that was first instigated and God showing the people, this is how you are to clearly deliver any kind of situation where someone has committed a crime or iniquity, you're giving them the opportunity to, uh, you know, um, explain themselves. But also if anyone actually, uh, if the person did commit the crime, there has to be two to three witnesses. Not only one, because of course you could be biased, it could be the one person that the person actually, um, you know, it could be someone that totally hates you. And then a group of people can, could conspire that hate you and say, yeah, if we all come together and lie, then we can ensure this person gets the death penalty or what have you. So again, understand therefore why God hates lies so much. It's a matter of life and death. Again, in today's world, it's a bit different death penalty doesn't exist so much. Nonetheless, people still go to jail for the rest of their lives. For It happens that, that things didn't happen, that they weren't actually um, guilty of it. Again, a lot to do with the corruptness of the world where the, the hands of the wicked are strengthened by judges, by priests and so on. And the hands of the victims 
are not the hands of the fatherless and the widow. They're weakened. They are made sad, as he says. You have made the righteous sad. I have not made them sad, as God says. Because his laws are perfect. It's how humanity execute them where the issue comes. So, of course, you can have more things that are part of evidence. For example, a video evidence, a picture evidence, messages evidence, etc. But that is a part of it. In today's world, the testimony, the witness, the eyewitness account, the person that declares a statement of whether or not they, something is true or false, today, that is worth basically nothing. People don't believe anything that comes out of anyone's mouth anymore, of course, because the world is literally just full of liars. Like, you can't trust anybody today. However, that has caused everybody today to instantaneously assume everything is a lie unless they were to see video evidence. That's today. Today, that's what everybody believes is the only way to testify anything. If there's no video, if I don't see the video, it's not true. But that is also folly. That is also error. There is not a video recording for everything ever. Like You cannot also do this. So be cautious when you're doing that. And for God, he still uh, set this system up as bearing witness with human beings, not just things. Yes, again, evidence can be backed up with things like pictures, videos, messages, etc. However, if somebody is supposed to back up the person's account, the person's testimony... So with that information, let's go it further into First John chapter 5 and you will understand now why God um, is explaining, like why John is explaining this so importantly so you understand what this means. He says uh, from verse 5, Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that, the, that Jesus is the Son of God? So he's saying, the only type of person that can overcome this evil world is he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So your faith in Jesus Christ. This is he, so referring to Jesus, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, do you see how we have two witnesses there already? He's saying you didn't come by water only, not just one witness, but by water and blood, two witnesses. And wait for it. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth. That's three. The water, the blood, the spirit. That's three witnesses. And you see how it says the spirit bears witness because the spirit is the truth. That's why your testimony of Jesus Christ is with your spiritual eyes today. We don't see him walking the earth physically as a human man, as he did back then before the crucifixion and resurrection. Today, we witness him in spirit and in truth, which is through our spiritual eyes. Like I have borne witness that Jesus Christ is the truth. When he came into a dream, which was a spiritual attack that I've never had in my life before, and I've never in my life been able to become aware in a dream. All of a sudden, I'm aware of my dream, and I'm aware something dark is tampering with my dream. The moment I become aware that something dark is in my dreams, it's tampering with it, and it's a, it's a negative energy, I instantaneously know, apparently, this is again before I'm born again, before I even know anything about Jesus, I call out instantly to the name Jesus. And before I could even say, okay, before I could even say it, I'm thinking just, okay, the whole thing ends and I wake up in the middle of the night. 
the whole thing ends. I bear to you witness in the spirit. I know Jesus Christ is the truth. He then continued to reveal himself to me when I then instantaneously bought a Bible and read it every single day ever since I've had it, which is over a year now, and continued to, and he's continued to sanctify me and bear witness to the truth in me, convict me, and so on and so forth. Remember that your salvation doesn't just come from one day, but that is my in, in part of my testimony that I am fully, 100% can say to you as an eyewitness in spirit, Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is the truth. And that's what he's saying here by the water, by the blood and by the spirit, bearing witness because the spirit is truth. Now listen here, listen again. Now you're understanding what I read to you in Deuteronomy, why John is explaining this to you in the New Testament. You see how it's still connected and it's not that the Old Testament is just to be thrown away. God forbid. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That's referring to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's again, three witnesses bearing witness in heaven, okay? Bear record in heaven. Now listen, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one because he's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's God Almighty manifest in the flesh physical. If we receive the witness of men, so he's saying what well, I just explained to you in the whole beginning, what is a testimony, what is a witness, uh, an eyewitness account in a court of law. He's referring to that. If we receive the witness of somebody, of a man, of a human being in like a court of law, the witness of God is greater. Okay, do you understand that now? Yes, the witness of God is obviously greater than the witness of man. So what is he saying? For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. This is literally God's testimony. Jesus Christ is God's testimony walking on earth. It, it is God physically manifest in the flesh because God himself, the father, is invisible and we cannot see him. If we were to see him, we would die in all his glory and in our fallen state. So the testimony of himself is Jesus Christ who walked the earth. So he says, this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He that believes on the son of God has the witness in himself. Does that make sense to you now? So I, as a born again believer, have the witness in myself, the Holy Spirit, who bears witness to the truth that is Jesus Christ. So he that believes on the son of God has the witness in himself, inside you. He that believes not God has made him a liar. Do you see now how you make God a liar by not believing his eyewitness account? Do you understand the significance of that? That literally if you deny Jesus Christ as the son of God, you are saying God is a liar based on his structure of how this works. The two to three witnesses, etc. Again, he's meticulous. He's perfect. He's holy. He's given. There is literally no way you can deny the truth of Jesus Christ, the way he's meticulously ensured that people are able to clearly see evidence for it, okay? So he's saying, if you don't believe, that God, then you've made God a liar because he believed not the record, he believed not the, the evidence, the witness that God gave of his own son. And this is the record. 
So what is it? What is the testimony? That God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. This is part of the whole gospel. Eternal life can only come through the son of God, Jesus Christ. And that it is given to us through his blood, how he died for us on the cross. He that has the son has life. And he that has not the son of God has no life. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the son of God. So you see how John is also bearing witness to the truth. There's more. Again, if two to three witnesses is all you need, there's literally by this point, you would have gone from hundreds to thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions to who knows billions by this point of people that bear witness to the truth of the Son of God. And this, uh, sorry, that you may believe, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitioned that we desired of him. And here he's just elaborating on what it means to actually walk, walk, living that witness within yourself. That's why he says, this is the confidence we have in him, because faith is that. Faith is confidence in God. It is trust in God. It is reliance on God. It is knowing that God is true. He is faithful. His promises mean something. Again, look how meticulous he is in showing you that he bear witness of Jesus Christ, in showing you that there are more than enough evidences pointing to the truth of it and saying it's so much so that if you don't believe, you have made God a liar. And, and that is you actually committing blasphemy as well. So when it comes with prophecy, this is why it's you have to be very cautious when you're seeing, you see it in the book of the prophets. Every single time a prophet would declare a prophetic word from God. Everybody that's there listening to the prophecy, okay? So when the prophet stands there and says, thus saith the Lord, and he's standing in the congregation, and there's usually way more than two to three people standing there. Oftentimes he'd be speaking to all the elders, which would be, let's say, uh, 20 to 50 people, or he'd be speaking to the entire nation of Israel, which would be obviously hundreds of thousands, uh, at one point millions as well. All of those people are bearing witness to what the prophet is saying. Now, now here's the important part. If somebody doesn't believe what the prophet's saying, doesn't mean what the prophet is saying isn't going to come to pass. Prophecy doesn't go into motion only when two to three people begin to believe that it's true. It has nothing to do with you believing whether or not the prophecy is true. It means that you were there. And you bear witness to the truth being spoken. So Jesus walking the earth and two to three people minimum, uh, see, having been witness he, that he walked the earth, that's already enough for the prophecy to go into, into full swing. Same with the resurrection. More than 500 people saw him. Same with now every single person who's born again who bears the witness within themselves is bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, therefore bringing closer and closer the prophecy of the book of Revelation, his return. As in, it can come already at any time because there's obviously more than two to three witnesses already on this earth that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You understand? That's why the timing part can't be hacked. That's all to do with God's mercy and justice. It's his timing. 
Every single minute, hour, day that passes that he does not return to judge the world is his mercy and long-suffering. That's what it is to everyone who loves to say he's such a horrific God. He is more merciful than you can ever imagine. None of us can come anywhere close to the level of mercy and love this incredible person has. So whenever a prophet would proclaim a prophecy and uh, let's say the children of Israel disagreed and they said, that doesn't sound like God. You've got a demon. You've got a demon. That's blasphemy because that's what they did to Jesus as well. When Jesus was casting out uh, demons from people, they were accusing him saying, oh, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. And he's like, how can I cast out demons by Beelzebub? Um, Because that I would be breaking down Satan's kingdom within itself. Satan can't fight against Satan. What you're doing is you're attributing God's um, miracles, you're attributing God's power to the enemy. And that's blasphemy. So he's, so they, they said to, that's why he then gives you the example in that, uh, in the gospels there, I think it's, um, oh, it's in all of them, definitely Matthew and Luke, where he's explaining they who blaspheme against the Holy Ghost like it's an unforgivable sin that's why and even in that even when people hear that and they're like oh so therefore what should I just give up like well just think about it for yourself like even if you think like maybe I committed that or whatever okay how does it make you act now do you are you repentant do you change your ways nonetheless do you want to in any way show to God that you live for him because you know that his way is right? That's the question. The question is not, oh, did I get into heaven or not? It's the wrong way to look at it. Do you understand? Again, he's going to test your heart. I can't tell you and no other human being can tell you whether or not you've caused whatever sin or what your judgment is. Nobody can tell you that. You can listen to teachings and you can read the scriptures to come to the understanding yourself but how you act in life, your heart posture towards God, that's totally on you and between you and God. No one can like guarantee for you. Oh yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. There's no guarantees here, guys. There's no guarantees. Love is not a guarantee. Life is not a guarantee. There is nothing in life that is guaranteed aside from the fact that you will die and you're going to meet the judgment And so he's looking even on that. That's a test of your faith. So if you're one of those people that's just like thinking it's like a checklist and you're like, well, I'm sure I've sinned already way too much. Like, I don't even know why I bother. I may as well just like, you know, let it be what it is that I'm going to go to hell. Well, I don't know how you even get to that heart posture. God forgives many things. It's very obvious. You see it throughout scripture. He forgives so much. He forgives so much. And even in cases, again, when you read the Old Testament, the more you learn through historical account as examples, how God reacts to the way human beings react, the amount of times you see it, like especially, for example, with David, King David, how many times he would repent meticulously, like really well, he would repent in a way that like it was so genuine, even though he knew what he did is absolutely deserving of punishment. He would still repent. He would still mourn. He would still like self-discipline himself and not celebrate things or whatever. He would show God that he knows that he hurt God and nobody else. And he would say things to everybody else because they would all wonder like, David, why are you 
doing that? Like, why are you, you know, mourning now while this and this and that? And he's like, because who knows? It may be, it may be that God will change his mind. It may be that God will forgive me. It may be that God will show me mercy. Do you understand? That's why he keeps saying, God is continuously saying that David was a man after God's heart. That's what it means. Not, oh, is it going to get me into heaven or not? It's the wrong way of thinking. Now, a deeper understanding that you'll get from this also is the role that Israel, the the people group, the nation plays in this entire situation, this entire story, this entire unfolding that is the word of God. And when I'm referring to Israel, I do not mean the country. I mean Israel, the people, Abraham's seed, Jacob's descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel, who are also referred to as spoken to in the book of Revelation. They are still a people that were first bearing witness to God. This is what makes them significant. It is not anything they are, anything they have done. It is not any specific country they're from. It's certainly not their skin color. So just please stop with this. Please. The amount of vain disputes that go on where people are trying to self glorify themselves based on their skin color and claim that they are God's people. I just, I, you know nothing about the Bible. Go and read your Bible and go and repent before God for, for even thinking such things, let alone going around and teaching them to people. This is the significance of Israel, is that they were the only people to walk hand in hand with God and see all of those miracles. They bear witness Okay, what's the whole theme of this episode? The importance of bearing witness to God. The people of Israel are the ones that we read all the historical accounts, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of Joshua. They all show us and bear witness how God from the beginning saved them, saved them from slavery in Egypt. All of the plagues, all of the miracles, everything we saw happen in Egypt to the way they parted the Red Sea to getting, uh, to having the water flow out of the rock from having manna, bread come out of nowhere on the grass to feed them. All these miracle things and the signs and the wonders they did, he did in front of them. And he gave them his statutes and he gave them his commandments so that they would be a set apart people to all the rest of the world, to the heathen, to the Gentiles, so that the Gentiles would look. So everybody else in the world would look to the people of Israel and say, wow, the God that they follow is truly a righteous God. The God that they follow truly is the one that actually is the one who made everything. Perhaps we should actually go to see how they do things, not the other way around. Israel continuously looking towards the heathen and saying, oh, we want to be like them. We want to do that. We want to uh, uh, worship idols. We want to have what they have. We want kings. We want this and that. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, from verse 33. Oh, wait, from verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of the heaven unto the other, whether there has been any such thing as this great thing, or has ever been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard it and lived? He's referring to the, to the people of Israel. We today 
Like all of us would be like amazed and it would be incredible for us to say like God showed up to us in the bush, you know, in the fire, in the bush or from the from the lightning in the sky, hearing the multitudes of his voice. They experienced all of that. Of course, at that time, even their generations, anyone that like was born afterwards, you're supposed to teach and continue showing that that was the witness. Israel bear witness to the truth of who God is in like his invisible state where he manifested in different ways, etc. The Father, the Father God before Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we all have a witness now from the physical. But they were the ones from the beginning that show you the truth of God. Like It's so critical to history. You don't understand this. If people do not know that there is a group called Israel, and if people do not understand that the historical events in the Bible are true, Everything that happened, Israel being led out of Egypt, Israel being led to the promised land, Israel having been guided by God and the parting of the Red Sea and the, uh, as I said, all the other miracles that were done, so many, and then everything, all the wars that they went through, etc. how God delivered them every time through tiny, through things that were miraculous, like, for example, intentionally God saying, I want you to only use 300 soldiers uh, and not not hundreds of thousands, lest they say it was our might. He would always take the least, or David being able to kill the giant with a slingshot, okay? These are all physical, real events showing the power, the might, and the uh, dominion of God. And also his righteousness, his truth, again, his statutes, they were supposed to be fully representing the morals of God. They were supposed to be the most righteous nation set apart, that's what holy means, to be set apart. So that's why he says, has anyone ever heard the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire? As you have heard, you heard it and you lived. Or has God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs and by wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Eyewitness accounts. Unto you it will show that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Okay? That is all the accounts we read. We also bear witness then because the word of God itself is witness. But all of these physical human beings were real people. They lived and they bore witness to all these truths. So that's again why if you, be- if you don't believe the word of God is the truth and you think it's metaphorical and it's allegories, you are making God a liar. Either you believe the word of God or you do not. It is literal. Of course, in prophecy, they can use a, a language that is different that's uh, about visions and things like that because prophetic go- spans over multiple years, sometimes thousands of years. There's prophecies still in, in the old prophetic books that are still to be fulfilled. That's thousands of years. And so again, people must be cautious when they go to say, oh yeah, well, when did that happen? When did the prophecy get fulfilled? Or like, obviously it was a lie. And that's what people used to do to the other prophets. And that's why even God rebuked them at that time saying, basically because God was long-suffering and merciful, allowing them time to repent, allowing them time to change their ways, they took that for granted. They took advantage of that. And then they took it the completely wrong way by saying, oh, God's not serious. 
he's just kind of like, I don't know, it's like a threat or he's just saying it. Or, you know, it's just this annoying prophet who never has any good news, right? It's just doom and gloom. That's what you hear today as well. Oh, it's all doom and gloom. Jesus is love. Why is all doom and gloom? It's not doom and gloom. If you understood God's word, you would understand the majority of the way he speaks is warning, is edification. It is just, it is righteous, it is upright. He is holy. He is holy. He's not, even in the entire New Testament, there's not one phrase ever that's just written, Jesus loves you. So just going around saying that to people brings nobody to Christ. You must understand the truth of the world. And as I've said to you before, love does not mean positivity. Love does not mean whispering lies to people to make them feel better. Love is just. Love is truthful. Love is righteous. And love is indeed kind and patient, which is again shown throughout God's mercy and long-suffering. But patience and kindness is not fake niceness. It is not positivity that's a lie. You must learn to differentiate, discern the spirits, discern the spirits. A sermon should not be a television celebrity comedy show. If that's why you're watching it, then it's not for God. The whole thing is is supposed to be based on scripture, always. Based on the word of God and learning about your saviour, Jesus Christ, and learning about God the Father, and learning to understand how how he expects us to be and live as children of God. As Paul says, is our it is a reasonable sacrifice for us to sacrifice our flesh unto him, to live in the spirit and not live in the flesh. And the fact that salvation is offered to all of humanity, all humans, has always been there, both Jew and Gentile. God has always said to his people Israel in the Old Testament over and over again, thus shall you treat also the foreigner, also the stranger when they're with you. As in when a stranger or foreigner or sojourner is here within the nation of Israel, you should treat him exactly as I tell you to treat one another and to behave. They should adopt the exact same statutes, etc. And we're told in Isaiah chapter 56, Again, for those that love to think that there's a special group of people or whatever. Thus says the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. And that's him prophesying, talking about the the revealing is in Jesus Christ. But listen to what is being said in Isaiah back in the Old Testament. Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold onto it. So that grabs onto it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger, as in someone who is not part of Israel, okay, that has joined himself to the Lord. So the person who has converted, who is is saying, yes, I believe in the one true living God. Don't let them say, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch, eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. 
A eunuch was somebody who used to have a position in, um, they would live and work in the royal courts and they would usually work the closest, the most sensitive um, and vulnerable place of a king and a queen, which is they would guard the bedroom. So if a king, obviously, for example, where they sleep, when you're asleep, that's when you're most vulnerable. So you have to be in the presence of somebody that you can, number one, trust. And secondly, that you would, uh, that would not, want to do you harm like kill you when you're sleeping what have you so the reason why they were called eunuchs is because they were literally castrated for that job so they were emasculated so that there was like an added level I suppose of safety to the king or whatever perhaps that he wouldn't do something with his wife I don't even so that was a thing but he's saying here he's like affirming to number one even the stranger the foreigner and number two even eunuchs who have been castrated for that point of their job or whatever he's saying don't say you're a dry tree don't say like all hope is lost right he's saying for thus says the lord unto the eunuchs that keep my sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant this is speaking to every sinner that chooses to be born again and chooses God. These are those of you that say, it's too late, there's no hope. Even unto them, listen to this, will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better, better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And here you see how he's talking to all nations, all nations, all peoples, all tongues, all kinds of human beings. All the sons, also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him. So again, he's giving you various witness examples of people who repent, turn away from their error, turn away from their idolatry, turn away from their unbelief and turn to God. He's saying, I will, I will treat them better than sons and daughters. Are you listening? As in your adoption into being a son or daughter of God is literally even better than having been born with the inheritance because you chose from your free will with your heart to say, yes, Lord, I love you and I want to serve you. I cleave to you and nothing in this earth because there's nothing in this world that can be offered to me that is worthy of salvation in Christ because it's the whole point of life. And that's the very thing that Satan wants everybody to be distracted from and, and not believe that Satan wants you to think it's just such a, it's anything but that, anything but that you're born with purpose, you're born with responsibility, you're born with the soul and there's going to be a judgment when you die and there's only two ways it can go, heaven or hell, with God or in eternal suffering. And he wants you to mock that. He wants you to not believe that. He wants you to think that there's no hope. He wants you to think that it doesn't matter what you do or how bad your past is, God couldn't forgive you. But you see here how many witness examples God is giving of people who say, who are not anything to do with the quote, you know, group of Israel. Yet they choose to serve him. They choose to love his name. They choose to please him. They choose to keep his Sabbaths. They choose to hold on to his covenant. He says, I will give you a name and a place better than sons and daughters. And that's written in the word of God. And you're bearing witness to hearing me testify it to you as I speak. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain 
and to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God which gathered the outcasts of Israel says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. (laughs) Because this is talking about an actual regathering that is going to happen of the people of Israel. That is shown to us as well in the end times that shall happen. That has not yet happened. Because all of Israel is still scattered on the four corners of the earth. And yet, he says, I will gather others to, to myself besides those that are gathered. And that we have said in John ten sixteen, he writes, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. <laughs> Again, salvation is for all human beings that are choosing him choosing him and by the way I haven't like elaborated on it but I've said this in many of my other teachings do you see how much importance he puts on the sabbath which is one of the 10 commandments that people for some reason say yeah all of them are relevant just that one isn't just that one isn't well that's not the truth because the sabbath existed even before the 10 commandments the sabbath is written in genesis it's literally written in the first book and in the first chapter On the seventh day, God rested and he made it a holy day, set apart, a Sabbath day, which is what we call Saturday today. All I'm going to say on that is since that revelation came to me, since I understood from the teachings of the scripture and not from any human being who goes around teaching their theologies from their Bible studies, since I continuously humble myself and ask God to teach me, when I instituted the Sabbath in my life, I can, I know that God blesses me because of that. And any time I've ever had a situation where, uh, you know, work related or something like that, it would have to seem that I would need to work on Sabbath or whatever. I literally have in the trust of God spoken that I cannot work on that day. And God has every time delivered me, meaning that made it, made it okay because it's a righteous prayer. It's a righteous request. I want to keep his Sabbath it's not because I want the the day for something else. And so I'm just putting that part out there for those that want to say that the Sabbath means nothing today or the day changed or whatever. From my own personal experience, the Sabbath is very much still a holy day and the Lord still does very much consider the fact that if we keep the Sabbath, like it's part of his entire blessings it's part of his promises, he notices, and it is different. It is a day set apart to every other day. It is a special day. Moving on to another important lesson where God clearly shows us the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet in terms of also the the actual content of the prophecy. In Jeremiah 23 from verse 31, he says, Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, that use their tongue and say, he said, as in God has a message, you know, behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err, as in E-R-R, to commit error, by their lies and by their lightness, 
lightness he's referring to here is by this kind of like airy fairy, everything's great, God has a plan for you talk, okay? Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, said the Lord, as in you are literally falling. You are falling down into the pits of hell by the prophecies of these lies. Even though you feel like you feel so great, it's false. And when this people or the prophet or a priest shall ask you saying, what is the burden of the Lord? Now he's talking to Jeremiah, the true prophet, because this is what they say to Jeremiah. Listen, the real prophet. So how the false prophets are treated is they have a big fan base. Yay, we love your prophecies. Can't wait to hear your next one. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. the true prophets, the response they get is the following. Listen, what is the burden of the Lord? Meaning, oh, what bad news you got for us now? Why haven't you got anything ever good to say to us? Like, why is always you coming with bad news? Like, anything you ever tell us is always, is always doom and gloom, okay? You shall then say to them, what burden? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say the burden of the Lord, as in like, if even like a prophet or a priest or any person shall also say, it is a burden, as in literally the word of the Lord is a burden. Like, how could you even say that? The word of the Lord is a warning. It is a blessing. It is his grace and mercy showing you to, to change your ways before destruction comes. It is loving in itself. As for them that say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus shall ye everyone say to his neighbor and everyone to his brother. Now listen to what he's saying, how you should speak of God's word. So instead of speaking ill against God's word and his true prophets, this is how you should react, he says. What has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? As in respectful inquiry or respectful listening. Being quiet, just listen to the prophecy, take it in. Okay, Lord, I will meditate on this. I will see how, how, how am I doing this in my life. Please, Lord, help sanctify me. Bring up any iniquity, wickedness that's still within me and purge it. Burn it up in the fire. Not assuming that God is the one that's in the wrong and not you. Do you not see how it's such a huge trap, the way people treated, treated and treat true prophets and how they glorify the false ones. And they don't realise that within that, they are literally denying God. And the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more. For every man's word shall be his burden. For you have perverted the words of the living God, of the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus shall ye say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus said the Lord, because you say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent unto you, saying, Ye shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I, I will utterly forget you, and I will forsake you, and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and cast you out of my presence, and I will bring everlasting reproach upon you, and a perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. This is the fact that, again, people are denying the truth. When the prophet speaks, they're literally denying the witness. They're saying it's not true. They're not believing it. And as I've said to you earlier, a if you don't believe a witness that bears the truth of God, it doesn't mean it's not true or it won't happen. So if you're mocking, you're jesting, you're despising God's word, you're, 
you're saying it can't be him because that's not loving. You don't know God's character. You've probably never even heard the majority of the scriptures that I read out in all of my teachings, because all you ever hear is the same two, two uh, scriptures from the New Testament somewhere and then 50 minutes of somebody giving you motivational stuff, nothing to do with scripture, telling you how to be, have a great life or just putting on a comedy show, as I said. The true people, like those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, will notice the difference between a good quality teaching and absolute nonsense, distractions, antichrist, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They look good, never forget that. They sound good. They know how to use the dulcet tones. Welcome, thank you. Thank you all for joining. God has an amazing plan for you. All you have to do is close your eyes and envision your future and he will bring it all to pass. Come as you are, stay as you are. Jesus loves you no matter what, etc, etc. And you'll just be captivated in that stuff. Like People who are still babes in the faith or lost in general, but especially people who claim to be in the faith, but you're still on milk and you haven't gotten to the hard solid food of scripture, you will be taken like that in an instant with all antichrists, with all deceptions, because it's seductive and you are too weak in the flesh. You don't know how to fight instantaneous spiritual warfare prayers when you feel uh, temptations coming on, when you feel that clearly there is a spirit coming on that's trying to get you to sin in the flesh. Instead, you think, don't matter, I can do what I want. God, God will always love me. Well, you're in the deception there. It, you're called a soldier in Christ for a reason. This is called a spiritual battle for a reason. The whole, the whole way it's spoken is as in we're in a war. And we are. And God being moral excellence, perfection, almighty holiness, with the biggest and best and hugest and strongest army you can ever imagine, the army of hosts, his angels in heaven. What makes you think that he doesn't expect anything, anything from us as children of God, born again in Christ, as humanity, his creation, his special creation that he didn't want to destroy, that he wanted to save by literally dying for us. You think we don't owe him anything? Not even the slightest bit of change, self-discipline? Understanding that we, were, we, are, we are literally dead without him, showing perhaps a bit of appreciation as you do to someone you love. That's all you're going to get here is the serious truth. And as I've said to you before, there will come a time people will run to and fro. Knowledge is everywhere. Knowledge will be increased, but it's falsehood. It's lies. It's vanity. It's useless information. It's people debating over the most pointless things. And not knowing the truth when it's right in front of them. Not, not hearing and understanding truth when it's being spoken right in front of them or right before their eyes. Not seeing how it's all unfolding. How every single day this world is literally coming to an end. And that we're supposed to keep watch and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. To be found worthy and blameless 
Worthy and blameless, these are not terms taken or used lightly. Earnestly contend for the faith. Work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. That's all New Testament scriptures. But they're just, again, people cherry pick and they say like, no, it's just this, I don't even know what it is. I don't know where on earth these, some of these religions have come from because they're not biblical in any which way, any which way. And God will teach you himself if you simply sit down with your Bible, read, pray, ask God to reveal to you wisdom, ask God to teach you and actually want to know him. Like you have to come to a point where you decide that you you love him based on who he is, not based on what you're reading, not based on certain accounts that happen in history in the Bible just because it's recorded in the Bible doesn't mean that God was supporting it or doing it or this kind of thing. Like, again, you wouldn't know that. Like, it wouldn't take just this small thing and be like, well, that's it. I'm done with God because of this, you know, account that happened in the Old Testament. What kind of God this? What kind of God that? I never thought like that. When I was first beginning reading and I started in Genesis, as everyone should, and finished in Revelation, But when I began reading and I started in Genesis and there were things straight from the beginning that made no sense to me. For example, a serpent talking to a woman. Okay, you know, but carry on reading. Then the the immense amount of like wars and killing. Okay, don't understand what's happening, but keep on reading. And it never at any point did my heart say like, this God is this or this God is thing, like in evil ways. I, I genuinely love God no matter what's written in the scripture um, and therefore that's why he bestows upon me wisdom and understanding of these things in the scriptures because there is understanding to all of them and you must remember his thoughts are higher than our thoughts his judgments are perfect ours are weak and brittle and clearly full of bias and and lies and sin As I mentioned earlier, you can barely even be a witness for anything today. Today, everybody's witness, quote, evidence is a video. If there's no video, it weren't true. If there's no video, it didn't happen. So imagine. So don't don't look at God in the same way you look at a, a human, a man. Like, with God, like, either you genuinely love him or you don't. And that's how I feel like there's nothing anyone can say to me that's, like, said or written in the Bible that would cause me to say, oh, yeah, you know what? I was wrong about God, don't love him anymore. I always loved him. None of it ever made me turn away to be like, you know what, this is all a bit much. No, I trusted. I trusted there would be a process to learning. I trusted that there's things that I don't understand. I trusted that every time I felt a bit like offended or squeamish about something I read, that it was my own limited understanding. And so I would pray on it. And it wasn't me uh, judging or condemning God and he sees that because he sees your heart so then I would pray and I would always pray on things and say Lord this doesn't sound like your character this doesn't sound right to me can you help me understand it and then he would he would reveal it to me later on I had that even like recently like really bothered me the way people it's people it's not him because I know what the scripture says but the people today that there's horrid movement this horrid Hebrew roots movement thing that is basically going around uh, like literal um, eugenicists basically saying that 
there's only one type of people, one group of people that look a certain way, that are from a certain place, they're the only ones that are God's people. And it really, really is the, the part that gets on my nerves about it is that there, there's people that are going to see this and read it and then they're going to think, because they're not those people, they don't look like them, that there's no hope for them. And that is a fallacy and completely wrong. And it's horrid that if any of you are doing this, if any of you even think that you're part of that movement, that you think that you are in error, I urge you to read the scriptures yourself. I have proved it already to you by various scriptures I read today, not to mention the majority of my teachings. I prove this over and over again, that salvation is for Jew and Gentile. Salvation is for all human beings who are actually wanting to have it. You have to actually want salvation. Again, you have to want to love God. He doesn't force anyone on anything. But I was getting upset because people will use certain scriptures and stuff, as I said, to twist scripture and say, yeah, so this is what that's saying. And so I... I said, I had one of my like first sort of more um, frustrated moments when I prayed to God. And I was like, God, if this is true, like if these people are using these scriptures and saying this to say this is true, then what about everyone else? And I, and I, uh, and that's the first time I was a bit more like, and he immediately, it wasn't even like a day later, he gave me all the answers in the scriptures to say that it's all false. So again, even I will question myself and be like, am, am I wrong? Is there something I'm not mis I'm under, I'm misunderstanding, Lord? Because this movement is so massive. And then he'll go back and show me and he'll remind me and humble me and show me the truth and give me some real knowledge. So I'm saying that to you as an example that this is why I can't stand this online nonsense where people just go around writing the most horrible comments and these and this and that. I don't support any of that because people read that stuff and then they attach to it as truth instead of attaching to the only truth they should, which is God, by reading his word and listening to real teachings. You can take any isolated piece of scripture and turn it into whatever you want. And there's many, that's what I said, there's literally people that do Bible studies and have, you know, doctorates in it or whatever, and, and they've created religions out of that. And a religion is not the truth. They've created entire religions where they worship human beings based on like one line of scripture. And you literally continue reading the scripture and you're like, that ain't at all what that says. And then there's like a religion that exists for hundreds of years, some thousands of years based on one piece of scripture and everybody that follows that religion you're like wow if they just read that paragraph themselves they would not believe anything that person is saying to them they're following a cult they, they, they glorify the cult leader more than they actually glorify the living god and this is why in the end as he said there's still so few who have true faith how many will he find standing there's so few who will still be in the faith of the truth and it takes work it takes you wanting to be sanctified. It takes you wanting to walk holy as he is holy, to be perfect as he is perfect, to want to be in the word, to want to get to know God, to want to spend time with him, to want to represent him, even though every single day as you do, the more and more the world, like you clash with the world. Everything becomes more and more difficult with the world because you are so set apart from the world by being godly. All of that becomes more and more clear to you. The scripture is so true. Like all of the word of God is absolutely prophecy. Like all of it has happened and is happening and is to come. The Bible is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
And it literally tells us even how it's going to end. Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know how to prepare? Because how it's going to end doesn't mean everything's just going to be eliminated and turn into nothingness. We didn't come from nothing and we're not returning to nothing. We came from someone. We were made by someone. We were made by the almighty creator God Yahweh. And we are going somewhere after the end of this world when he brings the final judgment of this entire earth and everything shall be gone. All of the land shall be removed. The sea shall be no more. The skies, the heavens will fall. Everything will look different and we will transform. We will resurrect into a different body. But how and where we shall live at that point, again, can either be eternal hell or eternal life. And as we're told, again, as I said to you at the beginning, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And as John told us, 1 John chapter 5 from verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Three witnesses. For there are three witnesses that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these are three in one. Again, speaking of the three persons to the one God. It's not multiple gods, he is one God, but this is showing the three ways in which he manifests himself as the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, the Word being Jesus. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, then the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son, that he that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself, that he believes And he that believes not God has made him a liar because he believes not of the record that God gave of his son. God's testimony is Jesus Christ. This is the importance of bearing witness. This is the importance of having a testimony. This is the importance of evidence of your spiritual eyes. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Not only do you have eternal life through your own testimony but you also believed because you believed the eyewitness accounts of others that's what the entire bible is that's what all of the book of all of the new testament the book of acts then the books of the various apostles and their writings they're saying that you may have eternal life because you believed our account we were eyewitness we saw him physically resurrect do not underestimate the importance of bearing witness to God. And as I said, it doesn't need to be that multitudes believe or multitudes even know about a prophecy or an eyewitness account for it to come to pass. Two to three witnesses that are present is all that it takes for it to come to pass. So the entire prophecy of the book of Revelation is absolutely happening as we speak and the parts that are still to come etc they're not waiting for anything 
it's God that's going to decide based on, again, his formula, his mercy, his justice, his long-suffering, him knowing how his plan is going to go, him deciding when, the timing. He decides that. You can't hack it. You can't hack it, and this is not some game where you sit here and start ticking boxes. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened. It always goes back down to the same thing. Everything that I teach. How to be a true child of God, how to be set apart, how to love God with all your heart, mind and soul, which is the number one commandment. And if you did, if you truly did love him, you would want to know who he is. You'd want to understand his character by reading the word and you'd want to live by his commandments because they're not grievous to you, as John says. And you would have and bear record that Jesus Christ is the truth, as I do and stand witness to that today. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is my saviour. Jesus Christ changed me inside. He changed me. He forgave my sins. I know this. I know this because within me, things changed. I felt godly sorrow. I've never in my life understood what that even is. Understanding that God is a person. Understanding that I hurt him through denying him and not believing him or not knowing him. And sinning. It was him I hurt. And that is a whole different kind of heartbreak. And when you actually experience that in life, then you know it. You go through it. You're witness to it. And you feel the sanctification happening as you begin to change. And that reflects in your life. And that's Jesus Christ doing his work in you. And God finishes the work he starts in you. That's his promise. And now whilst I can say much more, I think with that, that's a good, well-rounded study and teaching on the importance of bearing witness and that your testimony is the witness of the prophecy of Jesus Christ, to which he who believes on the Son of God, who was sent to save the world, he is the one that has eternal life. In that, till next time, God willing, all glory be to the one true living God, Yahweh, and his only begotten Son, of whom he bear record as the truth, as the only way to eternal life. Jesus Christ. Amen.